exciting episode of Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This is the first new episode of 2020, as well as the first in a new series called Soundtrack Selections. I am Ryan Daly, and joining me for this episode is the co-host of the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, part of the Pulp to Pixel Network, Mr. Sean Ross. What's up, Sean? Hey, how's it going? I, I'm super flattered to be on the inaugural episode of this. Like, I, I'm I'm actually really excited. I, I've done more. I'm ashamed to admit I've done more to prep for this episode than I usually do for my own show. But you know, <laughs> don't tell Doctor G that. <laughs> you probably did more prep than I did for this episode. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, w- yeah, welcome to the show. Um, tell me everything you know about music. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know I can't play it. Uh, so I'm really I, – it's funny. I love I love the Fire and Water, Water Records show. It's been a real amazing addition to the network. I listen, listen to every episode. You and your brother obviously have great chemistry and have had a lot of years to build it up. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of the show. And in particular, I love what your brother brings in that knowledge of music as somebody who plays music and somebody who has – you know, like that, that – other end of it you know i'm a music fan i'm not a musician so i really love that element of it so so pretty soon everything i know about music i will have learned from your brother so (laughs) that's that'll be the extent of it pretty much same yeah (laughs) that's pretty pretty close (laughs) My, my brother and my dad yeah um getting you on this show is actually way too long in coming when i was first pitching and crafting fire and water records I did reach out to several people about coming on and doing episodes, and we have one that has pretty much been sort of gestating or percolating for about <laughs> a year now, and we will get to that at some point this year. I, I, I promise we will. Um, it's another um, artist band spotlight episode like I've done before with my brother. Um, but that is not going to be this episode for you listeners. Um, nope. as, as we mentioned, this one, soundtrack selections. Now... Neil and I, we, like, we had been talking for about doing an episode on our favorite soundtracks. And this is something that we had been planning for, God, this goes back months and months, almost since the beginning. Like, this was just one of the topics that we were thinking about. Let's do something on our favorite soundtracks. And I kept coming up with hang-ups based on sort of arbitrary rules. And it, because I was thinking, like, how do you rank something like the Batman soundtrack, which is essentially oh, yeah. a Prince album, versus something like the Big Chill or Gross Point Blank that's kind of like a collection of greatest hits from a certain decade, um, or even the Magnolia soundtrack, which we'll come back to later on in this episode, which is like <laughs> 75% Amy Mann album with some other stuff mm-hmm. thrown in. Um, or even, I mean, how do you, how do you compare that to an album or a soundtrack that is a musical score or a soundtrack to a musical, like an actual musical, like something like Grease, um, whether it's an original or it's an adapted or like a Disney musical movie or something like that. Like how, like I just kept on thinking there's so many rules. There's so many different things. How are you ever going to rank these things? I kept, I kept putting it off. And then about a month ago, Sean hits me up with this idea. He's like, Hey. 
favorite songs from a movie soundtrack. And I thought, okay, that works. Actually, just forgetting about the entire soundtrack because that could, you know, you could get hung up with, you know, a song, a, oh, yeah. a soundtrack that might have one great Hall of Fame hit on it, but the rest is kind of filler or, you know, something else. But I was like, if we're just going with songs that originated or debuted on a, on a soundtrack, I was like, that's a lot easier to kind of break down and focus on. So, again, without getting in, there no real hard and fast rules for these selections, but they could be songs that originated and debuted on a movie soundtrack, or, I mean, I would be even open to sort of songs that were popularized that way, and somebody could come on the show and argue that Hooked on a Feeling, I mean, that song had come and gone oh, yeah. decades ago, but Guardians of the Galaxy made it relevant and popular again. So I would argue Reservoir Dogs did, too. Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. What we're going to do, so Sean is my inaugural guest for this first episode. He came to me with his list of some of his favorite soundtrack songs. Um, and as I mentioned to him before, like off air, my list, the songs that I'm bringing here are not necessarily my favorite. Or as we joke, they could be my favorite today. Um, they mm-hmm. would just sort of like come, but I came up with a huge list of these songs. So soundtrack selections, episode two, I'll have a different guest and I will bring a different set of songs. And, you know, so forth on that. So I'm not ranking these as my favorites. They're just songs that I wanted to talk about. And all of them kind of come from a movie soundtrack. So, audience, I hope that made sense to you. I hope you I hope you dig it. Um, <laughs> and, and, Sean, I mean, like, part of this came to you because I, I think you, you tweeted something, like, you know, favorite song from, was it Batman or was it Purple Rain? So I had put up a poll asking about favorite slow jam on the Batman soundtrack, whether it was Arms of Orion or Vicky Waiting, which are two great songs. And immediately I got David Ace Gutierrez asking, well, what about Scandalous? And I was like, oh, totally forgot. And so that started a back and forth amongst a bunch of us on Twitter. And I said to you, hey, Ryan, if I ever get a chance to be on Fire and Water Net, uh, Records, we're doing a favorite soundtrack episode, and I'm going to defy the odds, and I'm going to just fi- fend off every attacker, and I'm listing, and I'm not going to say the song, because it'll be the last song I s- choose, so if you listen to the episode, you'll hear it, and you were like, cool, and then next thing I know, we were doing this episode, so yeah, it all started It's all started with Prince, and what was your favorite slow jam from the Prince soundtrack, or Batman soundtrack? Yeah, of the two, I prefer the Arms of Orion, but I was definitely in that camp when when I saw the question. I was like, "Well, this is a BS question because Scandalous is the best <laughs> song on the entire album. It's like one of my top five favorite Prince songs." So, yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm Vicky waiting all the way, but you know, but I, it was it was just an omission. I just I actually just accidentally left Scandalous off, but I didn't realize it was going to set off a literal firestorm. <laughs> I didn't realize how deeply rooted those songs were in, rubble, in all rubble, of our. Ah, con- <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Twitter came for you, but. So yeah, so listeners, you know what we're doing. We're each bringing some. We're each bringing some soundtrack hits. Uh, Sean, as the guest, uh, you're actually going to get first and last pick on this one. But mm-hmm. go ahead. What is the first song on your selection? Well, so I'm glad we were talking about Prince because Prince is going to open my selection. And I will argue, and I don't think actually I don't think it's much of an argument in our circles, but I will argue that Purple Rain is a top three album of all time. And I knew I was going to pick a song from it. Now, picking a song from it was a real challenge. And and so I had actually – you had talked about sort of your internal struggle with the rules of, of picking a soundtrack episode list of songs. And I really set some ground rules for myself. And what I decided was, one, it has to be a, a great song that has great meaning for me. And two, it has to come from a movie I really love. 
And three, it has to have had real emotional resonance in the film. Like it has to have not just come from the soundtrack for me, but it has to have had a really memorable moment. And so as I was racking my brains on which song from Purple Rain to, to choose, I mean, there are so many great ones. And obviously, you know, Purple Rain is the finale of that movie. But that the movie for me, it really hits, it cements at The Beautiful Ones. So my first selection is The Beautiful Ones by Prince. Now, if you haven't seen Purple Rain, it is about the kid who was really Prince, who is a musician who is playing at a local club that's a great launching point for musical careers. His rival musician is Morris Day and the Time, who was a great band in their own right. And they are sort of going back and forth for, for supremacy. Prince has a great backup band. They're trying to share music, but he won't listen. And then in walks Apollonia, this beautiful woman who is also a musician, and Prince and Morris Day are vying for her attention. So in the movie... The music is really his whole process of dealing with his family issues, like when doves cry and dealing with his feelings and dealing with the the wrestling with his bandmates. But the reason I chose the beautiful ones is because in the film, Apollonia is in the bar. She's sitting with Morris Day and Prince has made his sort of desires known, but she seems to be leaning more towards Morris Day and he and the revolution get on stage and they start in on the beautiful ones. And that song is just kind of pure Prince. I mean, Prince is just a like a force from the gods of you know <laughs> raw like power, passion, sexuality. I will argue till the day I die that he's a top five guitarist of all time. Mm-hmm. I just I, yeah, and this song captures that for me because it is so blunt and it's so raw. And he's you know at first he's singing and he's lamenting like you know the in the chorus he's saying the beautiful ones they hurt you every time. But then he gets to the end and he looks right at her and she's literally sitting next to Morris Day. And he starts scream singing like, do you want him or do you want me because I want you? And he drops to the ground and he's playing guitar and he's screaming, you know, baby, 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 I want you. And I for me, that's the moment when the movie clicks. It's the moment when the soundtrack clicks and it sort of prints at his most powerful and most direct and I just I think the rawness of it and the the way that his voice really goes through the song. He sings in that beautiful falsetto that he has that no one else has. But he drops from that falsetto down, you know, kind of a register when he gets a bit more serious in the song. And he goes back up and he just keeps doing it. And it's such a nice like vocal ro- roller coaster, which, mm-hmm. you know, mimics the roller coaster of emotions. And and I don't know, I, I think for me, it 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 overwhelms me every time I see it. And then I have to say that song has always stuck with me. And this is this like 
nerdiest thing I'll ever say. And I host a comic book podcast. <laughs> so, so that's saying something. But like I've had, you know, relationships end and I've dated people and, and been sort of, you know, broken up with. And this is one of my go to breakup songs that, you know, that that the beautiful ones, they hurt you every time. Just it, it's a line that imprinted on me. And so that was it was my selection. It was a hard selection. Like, uh, Ryan, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you're a big Prince fan and I, I don't know that it's the song you would necessarily have gone with from that album. It, I mean, it wouldn't have been my first choice from Purple Rain, but it's certainly not a bad one because I mean, I think there aren't a whole lot of bad choices. There, I don't know if there are any bad choices from Purple Rain. I, I don't do think agree so. Yeah, I do agree that it is a top, maybe top three album of all time. I also agree that Prince is an underrated guitarist and probably in the top, you know, five maybe canon of all time great guitarists. I, I do. I love this song. This is one of my mm-hmm. favorite songs on the album, which is, I mean, just. It's it's really hard to come up with like say that, but uh, it's yeah I I agree that within the context of the movie this is I mean it's this or the the signature Purple Rain are the best performances yes uh, where you really get a sense I mean and everything that you you said I I totally co-sign with. uh, a little fun fact, uh, the, the occasional co-host of Fire and Water Records, my brother, has actually done a cover of this song that I've heard. Oh my back, god, how cool! Back when he was just doing like demo tapes, like I heard this on cassette. Uh, it was pretty pretty good. That's but, so cool, I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah, um, yeah it just, god, I, I love it. it. It's hard for me to say anything else. I love this song so much. It's, it's such, it is definitely one of his better ballads and kind of like slow jams and everything like that. Um, of the songs where he does dip into that falsetto it's among my favorites um mm-hmm. gosh yeah in just terms of just like being on the stage seducing her right there like as she's sitting with her boyfriend like her like boyfriend yeah. slash manager and basically just you know i mean that that was his thing he could just have sex with you with his language with his voice from a distance and yes Whew, he does it there, and it's it's a powerful scene in the movie. It is a great song, um, and and you know the thing about Prince is he did a couple of movie soundtracks that would qualify for this type of show. So uh, mm-hmm. I think every episode, I imagine, I will if my guest doesn't bring a Prince song, I will have to. Um, so that, I mean, we we've got a pretty healthy bench between Purple Rain, Batman, even Graffiti Bridge, and some other. Oh stuff, yeah. So. Thieves in the Temple is a great song. I, I have to say too, I think there's a there's sort of a, a three pronged attack in the film of stage performances, right? It's it starts with beautiful ones where he woos her, and then darling Nikki, where he just gives into his worst impulses and loses her, and then Purple Rain when he you know kind of subsumes himself and and allows for others in his life and he gains her back. And so th- those were the three that I kind of gravitated towards. But yeah, beautiful ones. It, it just it gets me every time just to, to kind of quote him. So I'm glad you love it, too. It's it's such a great song. You know, th- that was something like listening to the album. I never paid as much attention to Computer Blue until mm-hmm. I rewatched the movie and saw the performance of it in the movie. And mm-hmm. then I really keyed into the guitar parts of that song. Um, and now Computer Blue is also one of my favorite songs on the album now, but. Anyway, yeah, that's a great selection. Great selection. So, great way to start off uh, this uh, this episode. So, all right. Thanks. What was your first choice? All right. So, my first selection for this one is brace yourself, listeners. This one's coming out of left field, but everything I do, I do it for you by Brian Adams from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Look into your
picked this song because, no kidding, this was the first CD I ever got. Ah, the soundtrack awesome. to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is like 20 just musical score songs. I don't even know the, the, the name of the musician who did the score. Could be somebody famous, could be somebody I've never heard of. I don't even know now. Um, but it was packaged with this song, and this is this song is the reason I got it. But I didn't buy it for myself. It was a gift, and I can't think of why... You know, somebody in my family got this for me, like when they could have just gone gotten the single of the song or something. I mean, I I love the song. It was a huge monster hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think like it was like 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 record breaking like radio play and everything like when it came out. But yeah, I just just for the nostalgia reasons, like when I look at like my when I go back and I see like all of the CDs that I that I have and that I used to play and everything like that. Just among them, strangely, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Why do you have that CD? <laughs> um, but I got mileage out of it because not only did I play this song a lot. I mean, I would I would play the music and I would think of, I would read comics or, or play GI Joes or something or you know I would I would try to compose some sort of battle scene in my head with this music. Um, but yeah, getting to this song, Brian Adams he already had his career you know with like Summer of '69 and and he was big, but this song kind of launched him. And after this, he did a song for the movie Don Juan DeMarco and then like mm-hmm. the Three Musketeers he did with Sting and um, Rod Stewart. So it was sort of like his thing was he kept on doing like these music soundtrack songs. Um, but yeah, getting back to this one, like I, it's, I, I like the song. I really like it at the end when it breaks down when he says there's no love like your love and no other could give more love. It is kind of a cheesy, sappy rock song, but I, I think his natural talent and, and his, his songwriting makes it a little bit better than that. Um, but yeah, it's it's really, it was a nostalgia pick that I had to have this as my first one. Well, and it, and it hit my nostalgia buttons too. I mean, this is definitely a, a sort of a, a bittersweet kind of cringeworthy song that I love because it was so popular and it is, you know, it's undeniably a sappy ballad, you know, power ballad, but it is, it's a great song. And I literally danced with my high school girlfriend to this song at prom. And so it kind of, you know, became one of those like, well, it's, you know, kind of, it's not our song, but it's like one of our songs. And it, it definitely ended up on a mixtape that she made for me and, <laughs> and like a mix CD I made for her. And, and this was one of those songs, like when I got my first car and I had like that mixed CD or something playing, my friends were like, what the hell is this song doing on, you know? And then I had to be like, oh, uh, you know, sorry, we danced to it and she made it for me. And so it, it carries a lot of those like, goofy high school memories from I, mean, I literally still have a sense memory of dancing to her with this or dancing with her to this song so i was really excited when i saw you pick it because it's one of those like you know pop power ballads that just take me right back to a specific moment all right what's your next song all right well speaking of specific moments uh so my my next song is from the movie reality bites it came out in 1994 and it's by lisa Loeb, and it is stay you say I don't listen hard Don't pay attention to the distance that you're running To anyone, anywhere I don't understand If you really care, I'm only hearing negative No, 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 no So I, I turn the radio on I turn the radio up And this woman was singing my song Lover's in love and the others run away Lover is crying cause the other won't stay Some others have a room we weep for the 
Now, there's a little story behind this song. So Ben Stiller is making a movie called Reality Bites, and it features Monona Ryder and Ethan Hawke. And they're looking for music for it. They kind of want it, the, the soundtrack to be kind of like singles was. It's, mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a, a 90s movie about Gen X, you know, kind of slacker generation, right? Dr- graduating from college. And, and it's, it's about a group of friends who've just graduated from college and they're struggling with sort of what to do next and how to navigate the world of business and, and the world of having morals, which I know are a thing of the past, but, uh, you know, something we still kind of hold on to at one point. And so – Ethan Hawke was actually neighbors with Lisa Loeb, and he would kind of hang out at her place, and she'd hang out at his place sometimes. They had some friends in common, and he heard her playing this demo with her band, and he's like, I love this song. I'm going to take it to Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller heard it. He loved it, and the thing I love about it is and this actually plays really nicely off of what the Brian Adams song. If that Brian Adams song takes me back to – that sort of sweet high school romance and, you know, the innocence of it, you know, and the, the innocence of dancing with your girlfriend at prom. This for me is the epitome of the col- 90s college song. In fact, this might be the 90s song ever to 90s. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a sweet. <laughs> it's like sweet folksy. It's a coffee house song. So every girl who made her own soap that I knew in the 90s <laughs> covered this in a coffee bar somewhere. And it just really captures that time for me of being, you know, in my early 20s and having no idea how to be in love and having these like bizarre large ideas of what capital L love means but being so stupid because every 20-year-old guy is stupid that I, you know, I would change my mind in the moment. So the lyrics always remind me of that. She opens the, the song by saying, you know, you say I only hear what I want to. And she's kind of telling us right from the start like, hey, this is a kind of solipsistic song like Like I'm telling you up front, I only hear what I want to. And then she kind of veers back and forth within this relationship, whether or not she's going to leave the guy. She says like, I thought, hey, I can leave. I can leave. And then immediately says, but now I know that I was wrong because I missed you. And it's really – it just – for me, that's the epitome of of my relationships in the early 90s, my relationships – or mid-90s and my relationships in college You know, where I'd be dating somebody and it maybe wasn't – really working and instead of being mature and and her and I both being mature and and kind of working out why it's not working and maybe just going our separate ways you know you put yourself through that tumult of you know should I stay or should I go or should I stay and then it just you know totally reminds me of that and I love the ending because she she ends with this really sweet moment where she says you know she's going back and forth like you know I thought it was simple and I thought I could leave you and I thought I don't belong. And she ramps up the the speed of the song and then she slows it down and she says, and you say, stay. And I was like, oh, what a beautiful little moment where she's like, okay, they're, they're having all this chaos, but he does this very simple thing and they're going to, they're going to, it's going to end there kind of beautifully. But she follows it up with, and you say, I only hear what I want to. And she takes it right back. And so for me, it's just that, that, you know, learning to be in love, learning what it means to love and the stupid mistakes we make along the way, and it just captures it so perfectly. And so I don't, I don't know if it's a song that you like, but it's very much a specific song for me. And and it also really encapsulates that movie and what it was like to sort of be alive at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember this song, and I remember this being really popular, and I really, really liked this song. Um, I think I was just, I was a little bit too young that I wasn't really in relationships at the time, so I didn't have 
the sort of context for that when I first heard it. What I definitely remember of this was, you know, being a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, and a lot of my music was naturally influenced by MTV and watching videos and everything. Oh, yeah. So with female artists in particular... I, I just had the natural association of them, whether they were great musicians or not, like, but like also selling sex and, and their sexuality and being sexy as a component. And I distinctly remember, like, this was the first time when I remember seeing this video, and I was like, this girl is cute, but in a way mm-hmm. that I'm just not used to seeing in videos. I was like, she's wearing glasses, for one thing. She's not made up. She's not, like, there's nothing, like, glamorous about her. She just feels very natural. Like, I was like, I've seen girls like this. I know girls like this. Like, she looks normal, but in a very kind of like cute, like just naturalistic way. And I was like, this is kind of adorable. I like this girl. I love her voice. I like her her look. There's just sort of like a casualness about her that I really, really appreciate. And it was, it just, it came to me at a time when I just, I didn't see that on television. So it was really for me, I associate the music video more than the song or and a deeper meaning that way. I just remember the video, it kind of like, this is kind of cool. Like, I feel like I could hang out with this girl and just be like friends or, or you know, lovers or something. And it's it's not like Madonna or Blondie yeah. or Salt and Peppa. It's not like you're not being like bombarded <laughs> by this like image. Yeah. So yeah, I I've always liked it. Yeah, great song. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the video too, and I'm glad you mentioned her sort of aesthetic because she was very yeah very cute, uh, approachable kind of girl next door and and never really used sexuality to sell her music. And I liked that too. And I, and I, I kind of think of her, her, her as like a, an early Lilith fair. Mm-hmm. She started or as far as at least was part of the early wave of that music, which is to this day, some of my favorite music. So yeah, love that song. There's a children's cartoon series called, if you give a mouse a cookie, it's based on a children's book oh, series. Yeah. Um, and I've been watching it on uh, Amazon prime with my, my kid, um, and the opening theme music is composed by Lisa Loeb. It's just this short little jingle. It's like six lines. Oh, thing. cool. But it's by Lisa Loeb. And I, like, I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, I know this voice. Is that possibly like the stay girl? <laughs> is that, was like, um, and I was right. I looked it up and I was like, yeah, and it's, it's really, really cute. So it's like the second association with Lisa Loeb for me. <laughs> That's really funny. That's awesome. All right. My next song is A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow, performed by Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara from the movie A Mighty Wind. In tales of ancient glory, every night and maiden fair shall be joined when the quest is over. And a kiss is the oath that they swear And when the veil of dreams has lifted And the fairy tales have all been told There's a kiss at the end of the rainbow More precious than a pot of gold All right. Um, this I had to put this song on the first episode because I have always championed this song because this absolutely deserved to be an Oscar-winning song. And the only reason it's not is because it came out the same year as The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. 
and that movie <laughs> swept all of its Oscar categories. And I think they gave it the best song award just so that it could win every award. Now, the song that did win from The Lord of the Rings Return of the King is uh, Into the West, performed by Annie Lennox. That is also a beautiful song and very well might end up on one of these episodes someday because I love that song. But this song is better. Uh, and if you haven't seen uh, Mighty Wind, you definitely should. It's by the guys who did Waiting for Guffman. They did This is Spinal Tap. They did Best in Show. A Mighty Wind is sort of a mockumentary about these folk artists these, <laughs> that were like big in the 70s and 80s coming back together to pay homage in a sort of tribute concert to one of like the studio producers or studio heads, like the founders of this group who passed away. So they're doing this tribute. And one of the music acts is this uh, man and woman group called Mitch and Mickey played by Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. And this is really kind of like the signature number. Like they keep teasing how great their relationship was. They were, they were like if Simon and Garfunkel had been lovers um, which uh, maybe, maybe they were. I don't even know. <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, not, not to say they weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was a crazy time. But, um, yeah, but it is sort of like that. And then they had this horrible, rocky breakup, and they haven't spoken to each other in, like, a decade and whatever. And when we come back, Eugene Levy is just totally burned out. He's more like uh, Jerry Garcia. He basically, he's, he's like yeah. basically doing a Jerry Garcia thing. He's got, like, that voice and everything and, like, his eyes and everything. So the whole thing is like, is this going to be just a disaster when they get back on stage together? But they sit down and they have this very quiet, it's a very quiet, acoustic-driven song, this beautiful duet between them. Um, I memorize the lyrics to this song, and it's a song that I sing to my son when I'm putting him to bed at night sometimes. Uh, it's just, it's such a beautiful song, and it's it's so pure and just special and magical the the lyrics um and Catherine O'Hara hits like when she does her, the like the second verse you know she she hits this register that is really really powerful for being an actress you don't really necessarily associate with singing or music and everything like that mm-hmm. um but it's just it's a special song and it should have won the Oscar for best song that year except it came out in the wrong year it it went up against the Lord of the Rings which was just the unstoppable <laughs> juggernaut that year but um had you heard the song? Were you familiar with this one? Yeah, I, I'm a big Christopher Guest fan, and yeah. so I loved this movie. And I, you know, the, the song from this movie I think of is the uh, the other one, the you know, Eat at O's, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the one that Michael McKeon's <laughs> yes. uh, band does. Yeah, uh, and that's such a great moment. Guest, yeah. And they, that's such a great moment because when they get on stage to perform, they're like, "Well, we thought we'd open with our hit," <laughs> and you know, they're <laughs> even funny about it. And but it, the 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 tension in the movie is that when when Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy had performed this song, you know, originally, it they would sort of always end it with a kiss. Mm-hmm. And it was that's that was the purity of it, right? The beauty of the song and the simplicity of the song matched the simplicity of their very innocent love. And there's, so there's this whole question cuz he's so weird, he's so spaced out, and she's really tense and and there's this whole question about at the end when they perform the song what's going to happen and they and it's just this very gentle little, you know, little kiss at the end and um, I think it's I, I like that you picked this song because I think the song is sweet and I think the the movie is really sweet, especially for how biting Christopher Guest can be like Waiting for Guffman is one of the meanest, funniest movies ever made. <laughs> and this is definitely a softer side and a sweeter side. And I think this song encapsulates it. Yeah. And I totally agree. Actually, I think it would have been an, an Oscar worthy song. So that was a that was a really good pick. Awesome. All right. Hit us with your next selection. 
All right. Well, um, staying in the vein of super sad love songs, which I did not realize was a pattern until I started building my notes for this episode. And I was like, oh, sad emo boy list. <laughs> I had to go with what I, I think is actually one of the song, saddest songs of all time and definitely one of the great soundtrack songs of all time, which is Against All Odds by Phil Collins. You're the Now, this came out in 1984 from the movie of the same title. And, you know, there's it's a it's a weird movie. It's kind of a neo-noir movie when Jeff Bridges was still young and good looking and wasn't the dude. And he's an aging football player and he's out of work and he's hired by this shady gambler to find his girlfriend and they fall in love. And, you know, there's that kind of noir movie. There's twists and turns and, you know, people live, people die. But the, the song itself is it has a very traditional Hollywood background because the the producers of the movie approached Phil Collins and said, hey, we want you to write the lead song for this film. It's called Against All Odds, and we'd really love it if that was the title of the song. And he's like, OK, well, coincidentally, Phil Collins is, is – his star is rising. And so people who aren't familiar with his career – he was the drummer for Genesis in the late 70s, and that was fronted by Peter Great, Peter Gabriel – but they were a really weird prog rock band, like most famous for Peter Gabriel running on stage in a flower costume. And the music was good, but it was strange. And when he left the band, everybody thought it was over. And then Phil Collins takes over on vocals and they become a much more traditional sort of rock pop band and they become famous. And then Collins goes on a solo career and it's just – I mean for people who are younger today, it's hard to know. But like in the 80s, it was like Madonna, Prince, Phil Collins. Like he was in that stratosphere. Mm-hmm. And so – they approach him to write the song because he's a popular musician on the rise, but he is going through a divorce at the time with his first wife. And it's, you know, she's the woman he's been married to for many years. And they have children together, but he's starting to get this level of fame and it's really screwing them up. And so I love the story behind it because I think you can hear the, the story. You can hear the pain of that divorce in the actual song. And it's, it really is just the saddest song ever written. And, you know, where, you know, my first choice, beautiful ones, is Prince being really direct in what he wants and really vulnerable in asking what he wants, but also, you know, somewhat confident and aggressive. And and then in, in Stay, Lisa Loeb's kind of going back and forth about love, you know, but still saying like, hey, I'm strong. I can leave. I can leave. This song for me is is a person without dignity, right? With completely broken, completely vulnerable. And and we've all been in this moment. I mean, I think, I think you know, most of us have had a point where, we have deeply loved somebody and and for some reason that relationship has ended and you know you like to believe you're this strong person and you like to believe this you're this person who you know will hold himself together no matter what but it, this song really captures that moment where you're like no, no I, I i don't I, I i forgo my dignity i forgo everything about myself that i value and i just plead for this person to come back into my life and so and that moment for me is is captured most powerfully 
because the refrain of the song, you know, he keeps saying, you know, you coming back to me is against the odds, but it's the chance I have to take. And um, and he says that all the way throughout the song. You know, he says, like, you know, take a look at me now. I'm still standing here. And then at the very end, he changes it and he says, you coming back to me is against all odds, but it's a chance I have to take. And and even that moment and, and the way he sings it for a very produced pop song for a movie, his voice is just breaking at the end. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that that's it's really the performance is really infused with the pathos of what's happening in his life. And I feel it when I hear it. And much like other songs on my list because apparently I need therapy. <laughs> this was like one of my big go-to breakup songs. And also apparently, by the way, I was broken up with a lot. I, I guess I didn't realize how often, um, uh, but you know, those you were don't smart need therapy, women. You just need more podcasts. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, See, I need like a Rob Kelly level. This. I need like Rob Kelly level of podcast to work <laughs> through my issues. But, uh, you know, apparently there were very smart women in the 90s because they all broke up with me. And and so this song uh, just really captures it. And I just think it's really raw. And I, I prefer the Phil Collins version by far because it's the one I fell in love with. But the band Postal Service, uh, who's fronted by the guy who fronts Death Cab for Cutie, yeah, yeah. they do a great version of this, too. So so what are your thoughts? I know this is a pretty famous song. What are your thoughts on this song? It's I know the song because you're right. It's pretty famous. I've actually never seen the movie. I didn't even realize it until until like you sent me your list. I was like, I know the movie by reputation. I've never actually watched it. But yeah, I, I know the song and I remember hearing it. And as you were just describing it, I started kind of like try, – I'm trying to put like the chronology in my head. I was like, okay, this was from 1984. That's the mm-hmm. same year that Miami Vice debuted, which famously yes. used his song in the air tonight in the first episode. Um, now, that song had been popular because that came out in 80 – 80? 81? No, that song was relatively new. It was 83. Yeah, it, 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 was that's it? a relatively – that was yeah, oh yeah, it was a relatively recent song that uh, Michael Mann picked up for, for Miami Vice. Okay, all right. I thought it was – okay. But anyway, so yeah, I mean like – so yeah, it was kind of funny. Like he had that song and this would have come out just you know within like months of each other or whatever whenever the movie came out. But yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally I, – I don't have much else to say because I don't have the personal connection and I don't – don't have the knowledge of the movie, but um, yeah, I've always liked this song. I do remember this sort of being popular, and I do remember how popular Phil Collins was, and again, sort of being everywhere, very sort of omnipresent for a couple of years there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good pick. It's a good pick. I like it. Happy to have this one. And he, you know, and I, I have to say, um, I had a friend who in high school worked at the liquor department of a local grocery store. So Anheuser-Busch would give him free concert tickets to every <laughs> show that came into town. So he and I used to just go – like he would literally call me on a Thursday night and be like, hey, you working tonight? I'm like, no. He's like, hey, you want to go see Tom Petty or you want to go see the band or you want to go see – like, and it didn't matter who it was because it was free live music. Sure, so yeah, cool. Yeah, so at this point, Phil Collins' star had sort of set a bit. And he's like, hey, I got tickets to Phil Collins. I'm like, cool. Let's go. And Phil Collins – one, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. He puts on this really theatrical production. But he does this song really stripped down with just a piano, and that's a haunting version. It's I don't know that it's released anywhere, but it's really lovely. So if anybody seeks that out, it's a great version. Cool. Well, right. And, and let's, let's hear your song next because I think the song you're doing next has no connection to Against All Odds. <laughs> no, we're, we're definitely changing gears, going a little bit more up-tempo. <laughs> Um, and a little bit more recent, my next song is Who Did That to You by John Legend from the Quentin Tarantino film Django Unchained. Now I'm not afraid to do the Lord's work. He 
said vengeance is his, but I'ma do it first. I'm gonna handle my business in the name of the law. Oh, now if he made you cry, oh, I gotta know. If he's not ready to die, he best prepare for it. My judgment's divine, I'll tell you who you can call. You can call. You better call the police, call the coroner, call up your priest, have a warrior. Won't be no peace when I find that love this song for many reasons um in part like it, it speaks to me because the movie is possibly my favorite quentin tarantino movie and i like just about oh, all wow. these movies but this one might be my favorite and it's just a great revenge story and this song is a revenge song and like oh, if yeah. you just look at the lyrics and put it together now i'm not afraid to do the lord's work you say vengeance is his but i'm gonna do it first so right off the bat, it's like something's going on. And you're, I mean, it might not be your common idea of who John Legend is and his type of music. But for this song, he is presenting a character that goes back to every sort of revenge story, whether it's Charles Bronson or Shaft or, you know, any type of these movie characters. Somebody has done someone wrong. And this guy is going to take bloody vengeance on it. If he made you cry, I gotta know. If he's not ready to die, he best prepare for it. And the chorus, I just love it. You better call the police, call the coroner, call up your priest, have him warn you. There won't be no peace when I find that fool who did that to you. Um, It's just great. You don't know what crime what sin is being avenged it doesn't matter you just know that he is singing to the woman who has been hurt and he's singing a warning to the wicked that he is coming for him like just you know like like a hell is riding on the pale horse coming after you know and it's <laughs> uh it, like it, the fact that it's kind of a western or quentin Tarantino would call it like a southern but like this could be a jonah hex song or just mm-hmm. or any any sort of comic book thing but like the fact that he refers to himself in the lyrics as a vigilante um it's just like just lyrically and it's just it's just a great really cool song the one problem is it's really hard to find a version of the song without buying the entire album because it wasn't like yeah. officially released. Like you can't like get it like through like a streaming service or iTunes or whatever without buying the whole album. You can like find it on YouTube or something, but that's about it. What do you think? I love this song. I, I, I struggle with that movie. It's actually probably my least favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, and I don't know what it is. Cause I, so I, my wife and I went to see it. We're huge Tarantino fans and we left and she's like, what do you think? And I'm like, ah, and I kind of said, I'm struggling with it. She's like, why are you struggling? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, look, I'm Mexican and Jewish or Jutino, if you will. I'm like, but maybe I've been hanging around with you honky so long. I have a little bit of guilt about this. Like I feel kind of guilty seeing this movie. She's like, did you just call me a honky? Um, but anyway, I, I don't know what it is about the movie. I think the performances are brilliant, but I, 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 and I don't know if it's because I've gotten older. Like I just struggle with the level of uh, sort of racial violence in that movie. But, but I do like the purity of the like straight up revenge story. Like, you know, the same thing kind of in John Wick. Like sometimes it's really nice to just see something that is just what it is. You know, there's, there's no metaphor here. There's just, you did wrong. You're going to die. 
And so this song captures that, and the, and the driving bass and drum beat is really cool. The, the music of this song is really cool in addition to the lyrics. But th- I think one of the things I enjoy the most about it is my first association with John Legend is like ordinary people or like you know these like super sweet sing song piano driven mm-hmm. beautifully voiced songs because he's got one of the great voices in music and so this song is so different it's almost the like does Wayne Brady have to cut a B moment <laughs> yeah. of his career <laughs> it's very much like, yeah. so it is. And so I actually like it for that. I like it for the range. And then I think it matches the movie perfectly. So, yeah, it was a really good choice. And the placement of the song I always really liked in the movie because it's at the point where Jamie Foxx's character, Django, he he's rescued in the very beginning by um, the Christoph Waltz's character, uh, the king. And he's pretty much playing the sidekick to that character throughout like the first two thirds, very long two thirds of the movie and everything basically on this, on this mission to get his wife back and spoilers. If you haven't seen it, Christoph Waltz character, who was ostensibly the lead of this, who you thought at least was the lead gets killed off in this gunfight. And Django is left basically to finish the mission and rescue his wife on his own. And now he's been captured. He was almost castrated. There is a lot of violence, but he's sold to the slavers (laughs) and he basically, for the first time, he really has to take ownership of his own rescue has to take the lead and he outsmarts these guys kills them really quickly really methodically and basically you just see him he rescues these other slaves and then gets on a horse bareback and rides the horse back to the plantation where he's going to rescue his wife as this song is going and i just think like this is the point where it's just him he has sort of gotten to the final stage of his hero's quest where mm-hmm. he's no longer back he no longer has a mentor or a support figure now it's all on him to finish the job and this is the song that's playing as he's going on that quest and you know that like he's he's blessed heaven is on his side at this point uh, and it's just really really well done in that point in the movie so yeah, it is. It's, it was a, a very interesting choice, too. I actually did not see that one coming. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And it is a hard song to find because I was trying to put it on a playlist for this episode as, you know, kind of running through the weeks. And it, it is, it's a hard song to find. I'm like, I'm not really down to buy the whole album. I'm like, I'll have to, I'll have to find that song somehow. <laughs> All right. So it's your turn again, which means we're going to play, as Jack Black called it, some more sad bastard music. So <laughs> That's pretty apt, actually. You know, one of the things you talked about, though, with the last song was the placement in the movie and the, the brilliance of it. And that's kind of what resonated. And for me, this is this is that song, too. This is uh, this, the, my next selection is the probably the best placed song in a film I've ever seen in my life. And the song is Wise Up by Amy Mann. It's- Now, 
Now, this song is from Magnolia. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's seminal 1999 film, and it's about a, a group of disparate people living in the San Fernando, San Fernando Valley, excuse me, in Los Angeles, and how their lives all kind of intersect. And it, it is a really powerful character study. Uh, I, by nature, am not a Tom Cruise fan as an actor. I'm, I don't dislike him, and there's several movies he's in that I think are really enjoyable. I just have never thought much of him as an actor, but. If you want to see why some people argue he's a brilliant actor, really see Magnolia. It's his best performance ever. But there's a point in the movie, and it's the emotional climax of the movie. All of the different characters are at the crucible in their varied stories. And it's you know kind of whatever happens next is based on the decision they're about to make. And, and so there's a, one of the characters is sitting at a table, and there's a line of cocaine in front of her. And she's an addict. But she's sort of falling for this police officer, and she has to make a decision. Like, is she going to pursue this life of addiction, or is she going to pursue a life of healthy love and basically pull herself out of this cycle? And she has the stereo playing in her house, and Wise Up by Amy Mann starts playing. And she starts singing the first lyric, and it's, it, the lyric is, it's not what you want when you first began it. And all of a sudden, we cut to other characters, including like Jason Robards and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And the song's not playing on their stereos, but they are singing the lyrics as well. And it is it, it is off-putting at first. It's weird because you're like, whoa, he's sort of breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. in that he is having every one of the characters sing these lyrics to this song. But it is so emotional, and it is one of the two most audacious things I've ever seen a filmmaker do. And actually, the other one is the end of Magnolia, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which – yeah, I mean, yeah, which is if you haven't seen it, I don't know if I should spoil it, but I mean, it literally is an act of God at the end of the movie that brings things to this really interesting sort of intellectual close. But but this scene with all of these characters singing, including Tom Cruise, and the song just cuts right across and emotionally it connects all of them because she keeps saying that the lyrics say like, you know, it's not going to stop. No, it's not going to stop until you wise up. And it's this sort of self-punishing song of like you've done this thing that you thought was right and it hasn't turned out and you've gone down this path and you've gone so far you don't know how to turn back. And it, you know, and, and, what it, and this thing that's causing you pain is not going to stop until you wise up. And wise up is such an interesting term because it's almost like, hey, you're being stupid, right? Like, like, like you're telling yourself in the song, she's saying to herself like you have the power to cure yourself but you're just too damn stupid and stubborn to do it. And the kicker is – she the, the refrain again is it's not going to stop till you, you wise up. It's not going to stop till you wise up. And the last line in the song, and it matches this high piano note, and she goes – her voice dips up really high. She says, it's not going to stop till you wise up, so just give up. And the give up echoes this piano key. And in the movie, it's a little boy who sings that part. He's on this quiz show, mm-hmm. and he has these like stage parents who are forcing him to stay on it, and he's going to be the – biggest winner in the history of the show but he's crumbling under the pressure and he looks right at the camera and he says so just give up and it is heartbreaking so i, I love this song uh, i think it's a really powerful song about so you know again kind of something that happens to us in life where we start down a path and sometimes we, we aren't strong enough to pull ourselves off of it but the the integration into the film is the greatest i've ever seen in my life i love that movie and I just think it's really cool because Paul Thomas Anderson was a big fan of Amy Mann's and asked her to write, like you said, most of the Magnolia soundtrack. And then oddly, there's some songs that aren't her. But a lot of the movie is based on her music, which I think is really cool. So so I, I, were you a fan of this movie or this song? If you hadn't put this song on your list, I would have put it on mine. 
yeah, this has been oh, on nice. my, this would have been on my first list. Um, I do I absolutely love the song. I absolutely love the movie. In fact, uh, if listeners want to hear more about it, Rob Kelly covered oh, this yes. movie in the, his Film and Water podcast, and I was one of his guests on it, along with Siskoid. Um, and the three of us talked about the movie at great length. We talked about this song and how powerful it is. And yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, everything you said, like just, it's, it is one of those weird moments because you're like, okay, she's singing along and then it cuts to her would-be boyfriend starts singing the next lyric and then every one of like the mm-hmm. nine major principal characters of this movie start taking <laughs> a verse and you're like, this is verging on, we've just broken into a musical, but it's, uh-huh. it's, it's not that, it's not like what you would expect because they're all sitting at tables or sitting in cars at, at this, you're right at this deeply reflective moment where it's like, you know, they, like this is the they're kind of close to emotional climax. But yeah, I, I think what you had it right, the emotional crucible, where they have to make this decision about uh, what comes next. And yeah, it's just it's a, a beautiful song. Um, I think this was no, I think her her other song, "Save Me," uh, won the Academy Award that year. Um, but I think this was probably the better, more deserving song. I, I would have had I would have had this song on my list if you didn't include it, and I would have said the same things that you said. So I'm just <laughs> echoing that now. Um, amazing song, amazing performance. I love Amy Mann's voice. Um, this soundtrack, mm-hmm. like this, was one of the first times that I heard. I think I knew who she was because I knew her from Till Tuesday, Til Tuesday. the eighties band. Yeah. Um, uh, oh God, um, Voices Carry is one of my favorite uh-huh. uh, songs from. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I knew her and this song like made me a fan. Um, actually there's an Amy Mann Christmas song that may show up on a future episode of a very oh, nice. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, great pick. Great pick. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, I love this song too. And I just, if anybody who hasn't seen the movie, you need to see it. It's one of the best films of the 20th century. And then the, I yeah, can't recommend the soundtrack highly enough. So, so what about you, Ryan? Why, why don't you take us a different direction emotionally <laughs> and say, save the podcast from my, uh, you know, emotional turmoil. <laughs> Speaking of characters at the emotional crossroads. And <laughs> let me tell you about this little movie called back to the future. Uh, and the signature song here is the power of love by Huey Lewis and the news. Don't need money, don't take fame Don't need no credit card to ride this train It's down and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes But it might just save your life That's the power of love That's the power of love And I don't have a whole lot to say about this more. This is just... It, I, I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure song. I mean, there was definitely... I, I remember I was at the right age where I was, like, ground zero for how big and how popular Huey Lewis got for a very short amount of time. He was probably... I would probably say he was, like, the first artist that I really keyed into and, like, recognized all of his songs and his music and everything like that and really liked it. Like, I wanted to hear more Huey Lewis songs. Like, I was just, I was at a particularly young age at that time, but I just, I liked it. He was, like, the first guy. I was like, yeah, play play Huey, play Huey, whatever, like that. I would, like, tell, you know, my parents or something to play that song or play that record. And I just really, and so, and I, obviously, like, there was a, because of how overexposed he was, then there became this huge backlash. But 
I never stopped liking him. I just, I didn't listen to him and I didn't, I mean, there wasn't more content to be found at the time, but I always liked his stuff. I could still probably make a, a song or a playlist of at least half a dozen Huey Lewis songs that I genuinely like and play fairly regularly. I have a couple of years or so like that. Um, but this one, I've always liked this one. This is probably like the favorite. I like the musicality of it, the guitar parts and everything, and just like uh, how it breaks down towards the end. It's yeah, it's not it, maybe superficial, but I still dig it. It's a fun song. I, I mean, I would put this on a workout playlist. You know, everything mm-hmm. like that. You just something if you need something that's up tempo and, and wants to bring you out of the funk that all of your song <laughs> selections would bring to. Like this would be my my antidote to that. This would be my my cure. So. Well, and it's got a great brass section too. Mm-hmm. Like this is, yeah, this is a super fun, upbeat song. And it's funny that you say, I, I was actually, re- I had a huge grin on my face when you were saying that Huey Lewis and the News was the first band you sort of attached to. Cause it was exactly the same thing for me. I had bought, you know, maybe records or tapes or, or had them gifted to me more than likely. But the, Huey Lewis and the News was the first band I claimed as mine. Like I had, I had two older sisters who had great music tastes. So growing up, I was listening to like, NWA and I was listening to like um, you know Simple Minds and Adam and the Ants and Sinead O'Connor like all these crazy it was it was like British New Wave hardcore gangster rap coming from my <laughs> sisters and I knew that you know I wanted whatever my thing was for music and I was really young and I attached to Huey Lewis in fact I think Huey Lewis for an entire generation is like a music gateway drug you know like <laughs> he, he was like the music starter kit because it was really safe really accessible really catchy. You could listen to it in front of and with your parents. You know, it didn't sort of challenge you because I was so young. I don't, I wouldn't have been able to read more into the music. And so, uh, you know, I, I loved him. And, and to this day, actually, he actually has a house out here in Arizona. And just randomly uh, at, at Arizona Cardinals games, football games, about once or twice a year, they'll follow the game up with just a, an impromptu Huey Lewis concert on the field. <laughs> and so it's funny because my friend and I will go and, and, you know, a few times over the years, we're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to stay for Huey Lewis. Like it's Huey Lewis, you know, and, and you forget how many songs you like by him. It's oh, kind man. of one of those things, you know? And so I loved that you picked this because one, again, you know, back to the future is one of the great movies of all time. And this song just captures it, but it's just a fun, upbeat song with, you know, a really good hook. And it's, it's, it hooked, you know, a whole generation of kids into music. All right, so spoil that mood with your next pick. If that song hooked a whole generation of kids into music, this song hooked a whole generation of kids into maybe excessive drug use and uh, therapy. And yes, yeah, and and some real, really dark live journal entries. Um, So uh, my my next song is "Mad World" by Gary Jules. Hide my head, I wanna drown my sorrow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take When people run in circles, it's a very, very Now, this song was originally recorded by Tears for Fears on their debut album, The Hurting, in 1982. And that's actually a nice version, too. But in 2001, uh, Gary Jules records the cover for the movie Donnie Darko. And Donnie Darko features Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal. 
Donnie Darko is Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and he is having this very strange couple of days where a plane has dropped its engine on his house, but he had been out sleepwalking, and had he not been, it would have crushed him. And over the next couple of days, he has these really intense interactions with other kids and people around the town who he had usually kind of ignored because he's sort of a dark, strange boy. And the, the, the nights culminate in something really sad happening, and he comes to realize that he was supposed to die that night. The, the engine was supposed to fall on him. And if it did, then all the things that have happened since can be undone. And so he, he goes back in time through the power of this really scary rabbit, <laughs> which I've seen the movie. You know what I'm talking about. And he dies and, and everything is undone. And this song is so perfect for this movie because Donnie Darko is sort of all of our inner emo children. It's all of our, you know, uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man three dances. <laughs> and it's it, – I mean it really is, right? And it's, it's, you know, all of those impulses in us that we, you know, hopefully don't give in to and that we kind of fight. But uh, the reason I picked this song is, one, I love that movie. I think there is an automatic association between that song and this movie. I think they're inseparable, in fact, at this point. The, that movie would not be the same without the song, and, and the song is infused by the weirdness of the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's also uh, – so I, you know, not to get too heavy, but uh, I'm somebody who's like really struggled with depression my entire life. And when in trying to describe depression to somebody who hasn't felt it, you sometimes need uh, objective correlatives, as T.S. Eliot would say. Like you need that thing outside that you can point to be like, oh, it kind of looks like that or it, it kind of sounds or feels like that. And this is actually my go-to description. So when I tell people who are like, well, what is it like to be, you know, sort of clinically depressed? I'm like, you know, the song Mad World by Gary Jules. It's like that's the soundtrack to every room you walk into. <laughs> and so and so it really and, and the lyrics are just so great. And again, this is like, to tears for fears, but like it's so vulnerable. Like he, there's a, a part where he says, I went to school and I was very nervous. No one knew me. No one knew me. Hello, teacher. Tell me what's my lesson. Look right through me. Look right through me. And actually, that was a line I kept in my head as a teacher. So I'm still an educator, but I was in the classroom for 15 years. And I used to really think about that line with my kids and about the power I had intentionally or otherwise as a teacher to, you know, kind of do damage if I wasn't careful. Like, I mean, you know, not in the same way, but like the first rule of the teaching oath is do no harm. And and I would kind of keep that in mind um, the, about that that level of vulnerability and and so it's just a beautiful song. Jules has a really high-pitched voice that is actually almost unpleasantly vulnerable in this song. And it's accompanied by basically just a piano playing sort of sparse notes. And and then the the you know the the chorus is you know just brutal. It's like, you know, and I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. And that just might be the saddest lyric ever written. So so, you know, obviously this is a great pairing with Power of Love by Huey Lewis in the News. <laughs> um, but it's it's it, I think it's a song, you know, if you ask me, you know, the, the the challenge of this episode is really like, you know, for me it was like best pairing of music and song or movie and music. You know, Magnolia and Wise Up and Donnie Darko and um, Mad World really go together. And so what are your thoughts? Because, I mean, this is you're, – you're a little younger than me. So this song probably hit you differently. I was more of an adult when it came out. But what, you know, what are your sort of attachments to this song, if any? So I kind of I, – my, my attachment to the song is tied to my attachment with the movie, which is only slightly biased in that all of my friends saw this movie before me. 
<laughs> and they loved it, and they talked about how great it was, how mind-bending it was, how just brilliant, and, and kind of, and I don't know if it was just some resentment that I, I was felt, <laughs> it was like, I, I felt a little bit left out. I was like, how did I miss this? What were you guys doing, and where was I at the time? Just sort of a little bit. So by the time I actually saw the movie, I was like, yeah, it was all right. I was, yeah, I was just kind of being a little, <laughs> like, a little yeah. bit petulant. I do like the movie. I respect the heck out of the movie, but I didn't love the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, sort of in the same thing, like with the song, it was like, yeah, it, it's a good song. I don't have the same kind of like connection to it. I, I also it was like, I did kind of go through a thing where I was like, there was a time when I was listening to like a couple of Gary Jewell songs, and I'm like, boy, this is just sad and depressing. I'm fine with a lot of sad <laughs> and depressing music, but this is kind of getting a little bit too much. Um, he does have one song that I really, really love called "Something Else." Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of his other stuff, I'm just, eh, it's not something that I listen to a, a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, I think, had I seen the movie under other different circumstances, I might like the movie and the song better. I like them and I respect them, but it's just, I, I yeah, I don't have the same fondness for it, um, necessarily. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it does, it is connected to how you feel about the movie. Cause like I said, I think they're inseparable and, you know, and the, and the piano in it, in it cracks me up. I was talking to my wife as I was talking to her about this episode and, and she's like, why is that piano so haunting? And I go, I don't know. It's kind of like that moment in Ghostbusters where Bill Murray walks into Sigourney <laughs> Weaver's apartment and goes, ding, 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 ding. They hate this. And somebody took that moment and turned it into a song. And she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> but that's kind of how I feel about the piano in it. And yeah, it is It is such a sad song. And if it's not a movie or song you connect to, then it probably just feels like a, a, a lot. Like it's a, it's a bit extra. Uh, but it's it's something I love. So I, I, I would feel remiss if it weren't on my list. <laughs> All right, my final selection for this episode um, was a last-minute replacement. I had something else in mind first, but uh, I scrambled a couple days ago. I was like, wait, 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 scratch that. I have to, absolutely have to include this one in the first one because this was one of those songs that was just like the the signature song for me for years growing up. And this is Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds from The Breakfast Club. Won't you come to your about me? Breakfast Club came out way before I was in high school, but I saw the movie. I loved it, and like connected with like weirdly with all of these misfit characters on different ways. Like even though I like I I couldn't necessarily relate to them, and I wasn't in the high school world to sort of have that experience yet. But it sort of shaped and impressed upon me what high school might or or would be like, um, which is not <laughs> not the case when I actually got there. Uh, well. <laughs> Some ways, in some ways it was, in some ways it wasn't. But I just, I, I loved the 
the, the setting. I love the characters, the interplay. I just, I, I love the movie. It's like one of my favorite, like sort of quintessential movies from childhood that I go back. It's like, it's gotten to the point where it's like a comfort food movie for me now. And this song was just so connected to it from the opening credits and when everybody's arriving at school to the very ending credits when Judd Nelson is walking across the football field and he throws his hand in the air. However, that experience and that connection to that movie was supplanted about a decade later by another pop culture association with this song. Mm-hmm. This song was used to almost heartbreaking effect in an episode of <laughs> Futurama. There was an episode of Futurama where Fry, who, if you know the show, he was frozen mm-hmm. for a thousand years. He finds out that like he, his name is historic and he had all of these experiences that he actually didn't have because they were after his family. And he thinks that after he was frozen, his brother basically stole his life, stole his name, and had all of these accomplishments. And he creates this posthumous sort of feud between his brother and him um, based on like the, this like, weird sort of key signature thing that sort of tied their fates together was the Breakfast Club soundtrack, the vinyl <laughs> record that was going to be played at, uh, at prom or something like that. And it sort of culminates at the end, they were like going to this outer space graveyard to basically grave rob and desecrate uh, the, this, his brother's body to get the, the lucky seven-leaf clover that his brother stole from him. And in the process, they, he has this epiphany. He, he realizes that what happened wasn't what he thought. His brother didn't steal his life. After Fry disappeared, his brother missed him so much that he named his son after Fry, after his brother Philip. Mm-hmm. And it was his brother, so Fry's nephew, Philip, had this great life, had all these experiences. He was the first man on Mars. He, you know, like had all these like supermodel girlfriends and did all these accomplishments. And it was all because of he was named after his uncle to carry on his legacy. And you create this emotionally gut-punching moment between these brothers from a distance of a thousand years now. And that they're able to connect, and he walks away with like this new clarity and this new uh, like love for his family, and it's punctuated by this song kicking in at the end as no matter <laughs> the Breakfast Club soundtrack. And now that's what I associate with this thing is this this moment from Futurama and this this connection with brothers and family. So now this is like you know it, it had always been like this soundtrack of my childhood. Then it became the soundtrack of like my my angsty teenage years and early 20s and everything because of that <laughs> for a different reason so yeah I, I always love this song and i had to include it on the first episode because of its prominence that way so what do you think about the song yeah we would be remiss if this song weren't on the list i mean this is a you know a great pairing of song and movie and i was actually the reason i was chuckling as you were talking about the futurama episode which i'd forgotten about was when you said oh but years later there'd be another association for an entire other generation of people, the association with the song is the finale from Pitch Perfect. And so in the <laughs> – and so if you've seen the movie, and I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners have seen it, you know, Becca, played by Anna Kendrick, is the sort of mashup expert. And she mashes up all these different songs that the Bellas perform. And one of them is is Don't You Forget About Me. And it's because her the boy that's been sort of trying to woo her and pursue her is a big movie buff. And he made her watch The Breakfast Club. She kind of acted nonplussed about it. And she puts it in to show him, hey, I was listening. I do like you. And so I was cracking up because I was like, oh, my God, Ryan Daly's about to talk about Pitch Perfect. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, he's staying in his lane. But I'm going to totally take the Pitch Perfect bullet. And I'm going to own up that I love that movie. And I watched that movie with my daughter. And, uh, yeah, I totally love the Bella's finale, including that part. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that is now my association with it. But it also shows, honestly, the power of the song because it is such a great song. 
about, you know, remembrance and the movie has such a great message of like overcoming, you know, these sort of false social norms to build real relationships. And uh, yeah, it's a great song um, by Simple Minds, who was a really good kind of late 80s Euro trash band. Uh, it was originally for Billy Idol, actually. And, and it's funny because I can't hear the song and not hear it sung by him because I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. Everything about this song is in Billy Idol's like vocal register and yep. style. So, yep. you know, and, and he actually he didn't do the song because instead he wanted to do music for Ford Fairlane. <laughs> so. <laughs> Great choice, Billy Idol. Great Super smart to hit your wagon to Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> I haven't seen Pitch Perfect, uh, so I can't comment on that. However, I do love the Cups song that Andrew Kennick sings in that. That is like a total earworm song. That like When I first yeah. heard that, I played that video over and over and over again and listened to that song. I love that one. That movie is is great comfort food movie. It's like a, it's a, a perfect movie to put on while you're folding laundry because you can just dip in and out of scenes based on whatever song they're singing. Right. Uh, so it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. And honestly, too, my daughter really likes it. And so it's, you know, yet another layer to the song because now it's kind of connected to my kid. All right, Sean, bring us home with your final selection of the evening. Okay, so after the other songs, I'm sure people listening are like, "Oh, what's next? Like, like <laughs> Mozart's Death March? Like, what? Like, what possibly like depth of sorrow could you bring?" And so I'm, I'm I purposely moved this song to the end of my list uh, to contradict that emotion. Uh, and in fact, it is actually my single favorite song from any movie ever, and it is "Rainbow Connection" by Kermit the Frog. Why there's so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side. Rainbows are visions, but only illusions, and rainbows have nothing to hide. So this song is performed by Jim Henson, and it is from the 1979 Muppet movie. And, it, you know, in the movie, for those of you who've seen it, you know, Kermit the Frog leaves his swamp to drive to L.A. to become famous. And he wants to make millions of people happy. And along the way, he meets all the other Muppets and they become, you know, this big gang of, of crazy puppets and all storm the studios at the end. And it's it's just the movie is for so many of us of multiple generations because I think my generation grew up loving it and then, you know, played it for our nieces and nephews and then our kids and, and they'll keep playing it for their kids. And this is just a movie I don't think will ever go away because it's so sweet and funny. I mean, to this day, if somebody says myth, I'm like, it's a myth, a myth. You know, like I can't not <laughs> do the line. It's such a heartfelt movie. And the fact that, you know, that this is the the sort of opening musical moment of it. Um, so the song is is written by Paul Williams and Kenneth Asher. Jim Henson ap- approached them saying, hey, we need a song for the Muppet movie that kind of captures the spirit of Kermit being like a dreamer, you know, and, and we want it to kind of deal with rainbows because that's going to be something we, you know, we a big metaphor or a big symbol in the movie. And and it's funny because these two had written all the music for A Star is Born mm-hmm. <laughs> with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. So, 
them jim henson going to them to write this is kind of like me including it at the end of my list because <laughs> you know not exactly a lot of happy songs in a star is born but the song is so sw- simple and sweet and i i have to say like it's one of the few things that unironically i loved it as a child as a teenager young adult i'm an old ass man now and i still love it i think it's it's universal and and it's funny because you know as much as I was like oh I'm going to end on this happy note I apparently I don't know what happy means because it is still a very melancholy song you know he really says like you know why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side and you know why are people always doing this wishing and dreaming and he says like oh it's been going on for years and where has it gotten us but then he gets to the chorus you know and he says someday we'll find it the rainbow connection the lovers the dreamers and me and that's the part that gets me every time is the like, you know, he he recognizes the sadness, he recognizes the melancholy, and that it may be in vain, but he's going to lump himself in on the dreamer side, and he's going to just go and look for the rainbow. And I love that. I love that about this song. And, you know, I've, I've shown this movie to my daughter a bunch of times, and I always kind of emphasize that moment. And I think it's just a I think it's a perfect song for a perfect movie. Uh, and it doesn't hurt. I do a, a really good Kermit impression. And so since she was a baby, I would sing this as Kermit to her. And and it's really funny because now that she's a little older, she'll just do Kermit on demand. But she'll ask me for like really weird sentences. She'll be like, Daddy, say, you know, today's the you know 10th anniversary of, you know, the death of so-and-so is Kermit. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> and I'll just do it because um, she's a weird kid, which makes sense. But <laughs> but anyway, I love this song. And, and I just I do think it's the best song from a soundtrack ever. And uh, what are your thoughts on it? I like it. I co-sign everything you said. It's really sweet. Uh, it's a it's a great little song. It's a quintessential sort of Kermit. I, I can't I almost can't separate my thoughts about him and like the Muppets in general from this song. Mm-hmm. However, I will Uh-oh. say it was almost almost ruined for me. Oh um, no! By an episode of The Office. Um, there, there's a scene, um, there, there's an episode, it's one of the first episodes with Ed Helms' character when he joins mm-hmm. the cast. Um, when he, uh, and Jim and Pam, they have this on again, off thing that at the beginning they're like, they're separated for something, and Ed Helms wants advice on how to woo Pam, and Jim is like, okay, I'm gonna give him the worst possible advice so they don't possibly, <laughs> like, okay, and basically, like, shows how much he actually knows and cares about Pam because he knows. Mm-hmm everything wrong like every wrong step to do but anyway so it like culminates with basically part of his his wooing advice he gets ed helms's character to play this song with a banjo and oh. that's like the the final like, stinger of the episode is you just see him at a, in a very high falsetto voice trying to do <laughs> like the the last part of this the lovers the dreamers and me and the la 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 like I can't do it like, as he's playing a banjo and you see her kind of like cringing and looking at the back of Jim's head as he's just goofing off at the camera and everything and so just like hearing hearing Ed Helms butcher this song within the context of the thing i was just like ah oh, stop it you're you're ruining the song for me i want to hear kermit's version um yeah i love the office i'd forgotten about that episode i, I think even that episode couldn't poison the song for me but that but no that is a that is a really funny moment did you watch this movie as a kid i i saw a couple of times it didn't it didn't have the same impression on me maybe again it was just like an age thing but i remember the movie i remember liking it but i didn't it wasn't like a go-to, like a regular thing. I, it is mm-hmm. something that I do want to go back to, and it's certainly something I'll introduce to Reese at some point, uh, maybe within the next couple of years. 
because um, I need a, I need I well I don't need an excuse to go back and watch it because it's great, but um, <laughs> it's it certainly it's been gosh, probably thirty years since I've seen it. So yeah, it's and it holds up. It's still really funny and sweet and actually surprisingly adult funny. I'd forgotten. I forgot that the um, 80s G or PG <laughs> is like a night. It's like a, a, a 20, 20 R. Um, <laughs> and you'll find this too, as, as your son's getting older, you'll grab these old Disney movies that are rated G from like the sixties and seventies. And you'll be like, Oh my God, like that is not, that's a hard PG 13. There's no way that's G like our standards have changed a bit, but yeah, I, I unironically love this movie. I unironically love this song. And, and I just thought, you know, if, if there were a, a, you know, if I were building my perfect soundtrack, like this is, this song is on a day and night. Yeah. 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 So that is where we're going to leave the first episode of soundtrack selections. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoy this because I will be doing more episodes of this in the future with different guests um, bringing their favorite songs and I'll be bringing more of mine. Um, but yeah, un- until then, Sean, thank you, absolutely thank you for helping me kind of craft the idea for this series because I wasn't like I couldn't on my own crack the nut of what to do about these soundtracks um, and I think this was just a perfect way of just forget about the whole albums let's just focus on the songs that we love and and uh, just make this a lot easier for ourselves so thank you for this idea this this was great and I know me and my future guests are going to have a whole lot of fun running with this um, yeah. yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and I, I'm glad I could because this was so much fun to even plan and build. And, and actually, I, I set the bar very low. I mean, all you have to do, <laughs> your next guest, literally, all they have to do is is bring a song that has a tempo. <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh, this is so refreshing. Like, it's, you know, they just, uh, as long as they don't pick the saddest songs ever made, then they're doing okay. No, this is great. I love the show. Um, I get a super kick out of you and your brother recording together, you know, and the the music you guys bring. I mean, I'm I'm Jewish, like I, I'm you know Jewish as the day is long, and yet I listen to I've listened to both your Christmas episodes, and I think it's hilarious that your brother's like, oh, on my tenth Christmas playlist, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's so impressive, that's so cool. So no, but you know, I love the show. I'm always a fan of the sh- of, of the stuff you do, but this show in particular really hits my sweet spot. So I'm super excited that I was on it, and actually, I'm super excited that this is going to be a series, like. So not only do I get to be on it, but I get to listen to the rest of the episode. So very cool. We will have you back on to talk about uh, something else, that other project that we've been teasing for a long time. (laughs) Uh, Until you come back, where else can our listeners find you in the podcastosphere? Uh, so you can find me on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where I'm the co-host of Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond. We cover every Secret Wars miniseries from Marvel. We talk about each issue and these big universe-spanning events and how they impacted the narrative of the characters that we love. Uh, our network also has a What If cast, where our uh, my co-host, Dr. G, talks about episodes of What If with guests. And we have a Welcome to Astro City show, where we cover Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson's Astro City series, which was just brilliant and yeah it's a lot of fun and uh you can find me on twitter at sean 42 az which is not at all interesting but um i'd love to get some feedback i would you know even if it's a, a copy of your receipt for therapy after listening <laughs> to this episode um but yeah i'd love to get some feedback i'd love to hear other people's favorite soundtrack songs and this is such a good way to find new music you know for some new playlists so very it was very cool i just again ryan man i can't thank you enough for having me on I, I I still I just figured there's probably like a bunch of kids just sitting in a cold bathtub listening to Mad World like over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the image. 
I think it literally gave birth to Live Journal. Like I think it literally <laughs> like it emerged. It like fully formed like Athena from Zeus's head. Just Live Journal just emerged from that song, and for an entire generation of kids. <laughs> All right, thank you for thank you for coming on the show, buddy. This is great. Fire & Water Records is a proud part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. And hey, while you're there, let us know what are some of your favorite soundtrack hits. What are some of your favorite music from the movies? Uh, also, special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like the show but you don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for Fire & Water Records. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening. I'll say-